Dr. Luis Sandoval is accomplished in the fields of mental health and spiritual warfare, a medical doctor, board certified in neurology, psychiatry, and family medicine. He is also a psychiatrist for the Roman Catholic Diocese of Orange, Ministry of Healing and Deliverance. Now, Dr. Luis Sandoval. All right. Well, welcome to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You're listening to the Dr. Luis Sandoval Show, and I am your host, Dr. Luis Sandoval. Um, always good to be here. Always good to be with our listeners. Hopefully you're having a great day and hopefully we're excited about being Catholic. You know, having the Catholic faith in our lives um, really puts us at an advantage in many ways when we look at the way the world is going. You know, we look at what is in our faith, what what is it that we teach, what is it that we learn about, and what is it that we strive to. And as always here, uh, we're going to talk about the health of our faith uh, as it relates to our mental health, our physical health, and our spiritual health. I um, want to give a shout out to all of our listeners out there uh, who have contacted me and asked me questions or had uh, concerns or just friendly comments. Always appreciated. Um, and it's always good to hear and, and contact uh, contact with uh, with each other uh, to remind ourselves that we are a family. And if anybody does have questions or, or comments, feel free to reach out to me. My email is up on the screen there right now. And for those of you listening, it's doctor, that's dr. Sandoval, that's S-A-N-D-O-V-A-L, V-M-P-R, and that stands for Virgin Most Powerful Radio. So V-M-P-R at gmail.com. Um, you can always also contact me by emailing uh, directly at our website at virginmostpowerfulradio.org. Um, today's show hopefully will be a great show because <clears throat> it really uh, the title of today's show is Where Do You Live?, um, and it's an interesting question to ask, you know, most of us will have an answer for that, right? We all live somewhere. Uh, I live at home. I live in a house. I live in an apartment. I live in this city. I live in this town, but we're going to delve into it in a little bit of a different way. Uh, just because certain issues have come up, uh, for patients, I've noticed different trends, uh, as I'm treating people, uh, in clinic. And it's interesting to see what's going on in our lives. But before that, let's get started. Let's go ahead and pray the Angelus here at the top of the noon hour in the name of the father and of the son and of the Holy spirit. Amen. The angel of the Lord declared unto Mary, and she conceived of the Holy Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it done unto me according to thy word. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And the Word was made flesh, and dwelt among us. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Pray for us, O Holy Mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Let us pray. Pour forth, we beseech thee, O Lord, thy grace into our hearts, that we, to whom the incarnation of Christ thy Son, was made known by the message of an angel, may by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. <clears throat> All right. So where do you live? Where do any of us live? I mean, technically speaking, it's interesting. I remember when I was younger uh, and thinking about where people live in the world and the different things that they have to go through. I remember watching a commercial um, for 
uh, very poor people in Africa and they were asking for donations and they were saying how, you know, for the price of coffee a day or the less than a price of cup for the cup of coffee a day, uh, you could feed a whole village uh, if you donated every month. And, you know, there were all these different things going on. And, you know, some of those turned out to be scams. Some of them turned out to be pretty good. But what struck me about that was thinking, you know, being young, reading Lies of Saints and seeing how people struggle in the world. Um, gosh, why did God put me here in the middle of Southern California uh, in a place where there's so much, you know, it's a lot harder to get to heaven, I, I would think, because, man, if I were poor like that, I'd have nothing else but to pray to God and to really focus on on the spiritual life. And those people with their suffering, man, they they are really going to get a high place in heaven. And here I am in, in the middle of uh, um, <clears throat> of Orange County and in Los Angeles and San Diego and and you know we have all these things around us and so many things so much so much opulence uh, so many things at hand so convenient how could I ever be as saintly as people who live in a poverty stricken area and it was interesting because um, as I was thinking that way you know it's easy to think that way and, and you might start thinking well I can't be as much a saint because I can't give up my television. I can't give up my car. But the reality is the, the reality behind that is everybody has a chance to get to heaven. God, I don't think would put us in a position where, you know, some people have a greater advantage than, than others. And it made me think about a few things, you know, and this is where the question really asks, where do you live? It's not so much a geographic place that you're living, but really where do you live in your spiritual life with God? Where do you live? How is your interior life? How are you living internally? The reason I say this has come up is because recently, gosh, there's been a flurry of patients with a lot of anxiety, a lot of frustrations, and nothing seems to work. There's nothing that seems to uh, quell the level of anxiety. We've tried different medications. We've tried, um, you know, prescribing things that might not, might be as we call them off-label, uh, meaning that sometimes we prescribe it for anxiety or depression or frustrations, but not usually. Now we're getting into extreme measures um, and nothing seems to be working. Uh, and and you got to wonder why is that? Why is that the case? What's going on? Well, sometimes medication is not the answer. Of course, if you're feeling stressed, if you're feeling anxious, depressed, I'm always going to tell you to go to your physician, go to a doctor, go to a therapist, a psychiatrist, somebody uh, to help out. And we're very quick to do that, you know. In, in our society here in, in in Southern California, we're very quick to say, "Hey, you don't feel good. Something's wrong. You got to feel good." But the solution to how we feel good is always a pill or something in the lines of a self-help book, right? So one of the things that came up was patients asking me, hey, doc, these medications aren't working. Can you recommend a good book? You know, I want to go to the local bookstore. I want to look online and I want to go look at the self-help section and I want to see what kind of books there are out there that people have written so that I can improve. Um, and one of the things that's hard is, you know, I'm, I'm always willing to discuss different books or different things that might have come out, different theories on mental health that might be helpful uh, to people. But the reality is there's only going to be one self-help book at the end of the day, and that's going to be the Bible. You know, if you go and you read the Bible, that's the ultimate self-help book. There's not, there's not going to be a difference. But even the term self-help, that can be a little bit troubling. And the reason that's a little bit troubling, because it sounds great, right? Nowadays we say, gosh, got to read a self-help book so I can do this on my own. Uh, I'm going to go to yoga. I'm going to try these natural medications. I'm going to try all these different things so I can improve. And it's all going to be self-help. And I'm going to make sure that I do that. And I got the power within me to do that. And I can totally do this. And that's kind of sometimes the interior life people live. The danger with that, there's a big danger to that, 
is that we start to believe that we have this power ourselves or that we can do all this on our own, when in reality, Christ tells us very different. Christ says, you can't do this without me. He says, you are, you are the branches. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Without me, there's no life. That's one of the problems people are going to run into with self-help. I think medication is great. I think theories on helping to treat depression and anxiety and going to therapy is great. Um, I think relaxation techniques are great. And that's all fine and dandy. That's the part that we're doing. But if we think that that's going to be enough, we're going to fall short. We're going to fall short because we haven't brought Christ in our life. So if you are struggling with mental health, if you are struggling with anything along those lines, you got to get Christ in, in there too. There's no, there's no way about it. Um, you can do your part. We do our part. Of course, I'm going to prescribe medication. I'm not going to not um, because the medication works and it helps. But I'm also going to tell people, hey, you know, if we're going to be honest about you're not getting better and you really want to improve and you want to feel good, there's only so much medication is going to do. There's only going to so much that all the self-help books in the world are going to do that were written by other people. Um, but if we don't get God help, that's going to be tough. And that's not a sign of weakness. Sometimes we think that self-help, we think of that as resiliency, as really improving ourselves, as I was able to do it. Look at what I was able to do. And then once we have this feeling that we overcame something, we go to other people and we see somebody struggling and say, no, 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 I can tell you what to do because I know what to do because look at what I did. And yeah, we do have that power, but we have to understand where that power comes from. If we don't understand that overcoming certain things is because God has given us a gift and God has helped us out, we're going to fall short. We're going to go right back into uh, feeling frustrated or feeling upset and then feeling lost and not knowing why, you know, I'm taking my meds. I need a different pill. I need more pills. No, 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 I need a different therapist. This therapist isn't working. No, I need a different doctor. This doctor is not working. When the reality is, is, well, hang on a second. What have you done to get closer to God? What have you done for your spiritual life? Do you think that it's your mental health that's hurting? Do you think that it's your physical health that's hurting? Where is your spiritual health? And that's one of the biggest things that we run into. So today, what I really want to focus on is where do you live Really, where do you live in that interior life? I want to go through a couple of things. I want to go through an article uh, that was on Catholic Exchange uh, that was written. It's excerpts from uh, the Archbishop Luis M. Martinez. He was the Archbishop of Mexico City. If anybody's ever heard of him before, he wrote a marvelous book, just a wonderful book that I would recommend to everybody called The Sanctifier. Now, there's a self-help book. It's all about the Holy Spirit. And that's the ultimate book there because we're bringing God into our lives and asking him to... Uh, um, to help us, to, to strengthen us. And I say it was the ultimate. No, the Bible's the ultimate. But anything that's reflecting uh, the Bible, the Holy Spirit, or anything that's inspired by God, of course, is going to be uh, wonderful for our, our health. But I want to start off by reading a little bit of this article because really more than anything else, once we have um, been on medication, we've gone to therapy, some of you are going to hear things about meditation and central prayer, centering prayer and things, transcendental uh, meditation, things like that. That can be a little bit tricky. I would say I would warn people out there that now we're getting into waters where if we think that we're going to transcend ourselves and we're not thinking of transcending ourselves to Christ specifically, you start opening doors sometimes, you know, this is why people uh, will ask, well, why is yoga bad? Well, yoga can be a little bit tricky. There's nothing wrong with stretching your body and holding a position, strengthen, strengthening your muscles. That's fine. But if all of a sudden it's part of a liturgy, which it technically is, it's part of the Hindu religion, part of their liturgy, they're really, you know, doing positions where they're doing positions to gods and worshiping their different gods. So if that's part of what it is that you're doing, that can be a little bit tricky. We want to focus our meditation on Christ 
and lead our interior life towards God directly through Jesus Christ. All right, more about that when we come back from the break. All right, welcome back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You're listening to the Dr. Luis Sandoval Show. I am your host, Dr. Luis Sandoval. Always a pleasure to be here with you uh, through Virgin Most Powerful Radio. I hope everybody's having a great day. And I think we have a great topic today. We're going to talk about living the interior life. You know, we're so used to our, our world and looking at everything that I need or everything I don't need and how I can improve and why I'm feeling good or not feeling good. But we always look at it from an external point of view. We always look at it as, boy, I need self-help and I'm going to find it from somewhere else. I'm going to find it from this technique or that technique. But are, we live in a world with so much technology that tells us not to look inside, but to look outside, to look for answers outside of ourselves, to look for answers through computer technology, to look for answers through talking to your friends, to look for answers to, you know, through um, getting a better car, different things along those lines. And the reality is that it is important to talk to our friends. Technology is wonderful and it can be a great tool when used correctly. Um, And sometimes people do need to improve their vehicles or whatever it is that we have as far as our material goods. But the one thing that's missing in our world is that it's never going to tell you to look at the interior life. It's never going to say, Hey, take a step back and give yourself a day free from technology. Get rid of your cell phone for a day. And why don't you go to church all that time you would have spent on your cell phone? Why don't you go sit in front of the tabernacle and just not think and just, in fact, you don't even have to pray. Just sit in front of the tabernacle and see what happens. See if God is working uh, in your interior life, but we need to focus on that interior life. So today we're going to go over a couple things. We're going to go over um, an excerpt, an article that was uh, on Catholic Exchange uh, a few years back, um, and it's an excerpt actually from a book written by Archbishop Luis Martinez. Uh, he was the Archbishop of Mexico, passed away in 1956, um, and it's a book that he said, "Worshiping a Hidden God." Unlocking the Secrets of the Interior Life. So we're going to go through that. And I also want to talk about a wonderful book called The Interior Castle. If anybody's never read it before or ever has read it, you might want to read it again. Uh, It's a book written by none other than St. Teresa of Avila, obviously one of the greats, theologian of the church. Um, And she talks about the interior castle as the interior life. How do we come to get to know God? How do we build a relationship with God? And these are going to be very important things for us, especially if we want to talk about our mental health, dealing with our family sometimes can be struggling, dealing with people outside of ourselves. And it really comes back to what Christ says, you know, why are you pointing out the, um, you know, the, the thorn in your, in your, the, the thorn in your, uh, brother's eye when you don't even see the log in your own. I think the interior life is important to reflect on ourselves, to see what are we doing, check my ego, if you will, and uh, double check my conscience there, do an examination of conscience and see where is my life with God. I think once we find peace with God, nothing else is going to matter. There's not going to be a greater uh, gift than that. All right, but let's read this article. So this article is called Strive for a More Intense Interior Life. And it says this, This is what the Archbishop tells us. There is nothing so important in the supernatural order as to have a deep, intense interior life. I love that. Nothing more important in the supernatural order. So first of all, we have to recognize that there is something beyond the material. There is something beyond buying a book or taking a pill. There's another dimension out there that I got to tap into. um, And it's a supernatural order. But he says there's nothing more important than to have an intense interior life. 
He goes on to say, this is so because at times we run into the error of subordinating the interior life to the practice of the virtues as if our contact with God were only a means to perfect ourselves. This case is not thus. Well, let's see. So we think that this is, so this is what he's telling us. Let's read on and see what this means. Um, He says we do this because we think that our contact with God is uh, only a means to per- perfect ourselves. And we're thinking about ourselves again. And he's saying, no, this isn't, this isn't it. He says, there is no doubt that prayer and all the other acts of the interior life have an efficacious influence on the acquisition of the virtues. So we'll get this, the virtues, we'll get them uh, by praying uh, and having a deep interior life. But he says, from our relation with God, we draw the strength wherein to repel temptations, self-knowledge whereby to be humble, sweetness of temper, wherewith to treat with our neighbors and the light and the strength with which to practice all the other virtues. Even more can be said for one may be sure that the virtues which do not have their root in the interior life are neither solid nor deep. This is important because sometimes this is very important. Actually, sometimes we think that we need to practice the virtues first, that we need to do all this other stuff first and then come to God. And what the the archbishop is telling us here is, you just got to sit with God first and let everything else happen because if you're trying to practice all these virtues, but you don't have a deep interior life, you haven't really created a space in your soul for God. The virtues aren't going to be very uh, strong. He says they're not going to be solid or deep. They're just going to be on the surface. I'm going to be practicing these virtues on the surface, but I'm not even going to know how to use them because I haven't asked God to come into my life and to give them meaning. So the interior life is going to be very important when we look in ourselves, when we see where am I with God? That's going to make everything else stronger. He goes on to say, but this does not mean to say that we approach God solely to acquire virtues. On the contrary, the active life and all the virtues we must practice with respect to our neighbor and ourselves, more than being the reward of our efforts, are the means whereby to achieve the contemplative life, the perfect interior life. Meaning that we start with God, He will give us the tools that we need to perfect ourselves. We don't perfect ourselves first without coming to God. In other words, a contemplative life is not a means or a ladder whereby to arrive at the active life. On the contrary, we work, we struggle, we sacrifice ourselves in order to love God, in order to have intimate and loving relations with with Him. The true spiritual life consists in our relations with God. Relations with our neighbor and even with ourselves are something secondary. Let's read that again. The true spiritual life consists in our relations with God. Relations with our neighbor and even with ourselves are something secondary. Either they are ordained to achieve the interior life or they overflow from it. Which means that we have to start with God. So all these self-help books all these pills that we have, all the, all the therapy that we have, that's all great. But sometimes we go to that first and we think this is what's going to heal me. And then I'll be able to get on in my spiritual life. See, I can't get on my spiritual life because I'm feeling so depressed. I need to get the right medication. See, I can't be nice to my neighbor um, because I need to read this health help book on how to communicate with people. And this is telling us the opposite. This is saying, no, you need to have a relationship with God first before you even go do any of that stuff. Well, the question is going to be, how do we have a relationship with God? Hopefully we're going to be able to answer that in this show. But the central point of the spiritual life, he says, is the contemplative life. Why? Because it is for this that God made us. He made us for himself, that we might know him, love him, and serve him. Hence, if we sacrifice ourselves to achieve a betterment of our life and conduct, 
It is solely that we may render ourselves worthy to have communion with God. Thus, our interior life is the summit, the ideal, the goal toward which all of our efforts ought to converge. Meaning what? Meaning that before anything else, before we even go get treatment, before we start thinking about how I'm going to improve myself, and notice what I said, I am going to improve myself. That's one of the issues, is that I need to start to say, how's my relationship with God first? Before I start thinking about how am I going to strengthen myself? I think we do the opposite. I don't think it's we do it in a in a malicious way or anything like that. But sometimes we say, I can't present myself to God like this. I need to improve myself. It's kind of like saying, I'm going to have company over. So I better clean the house. I can't have company over the houses like this. I cannot invite God into my life while my life is messy and dirty and full of issues and illnesses and, and I don't feel good about myself. I can't let God, no, 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 no. I need to clean up the house and I need to shower up and dress up and, and dress myself appropriately for God. And this is telling us quite the opposite. It's saying, no, you got to show up with God first, regardless of what you look like. You got to be there with God and then let him start to work in your life. It reminds me of the prodigal son. You know, every time I read that story, one of the things I remember or one of the things that sticks out to me is that when the prodigal son came back, it, he didn't shower up first. You know, he was in those pig pens. He was not in, in, he was actually extremely dirty. He was eating less than the pig food. Um, he was, he was out there and he decided this is not the life for me. I got to go back to my father's house. And there was no mention in the Bible that he cleaned up. He showed up as dirty as he was. He showed up broken. He showed up uh, defeated. He showed up where he felt he had failed because he had left his father's house. Do we live in the father's house in our interior life? That's the question of the day. So as we're trying to fix ourselves up and trying to do all the self-help so we can be okay, where's God in all that? We need to start with God. You know, if you're going to come to therapy, you're going to come to treatment, I would say, where is your spiritual life? How's your spiritual life doing? You got to start there first. And then it seems like everything else will be taken care of. But that's our faith in God. We have to believe that God's a loving father who, as we come to him broken, will call to his servants, the angels, and tell them, get my, get this soul robed. Look at this soul. It's coming to be broken. Get the clothes back on. Put their ring back on. Give them their dignity back because they're coming back to me and take care of them, and we're going to have a party. That's where it starts. You know, the interior life starts where I have to ask myself, where am I living? Am I in the pig pen of the prodigal son, or am I running back to my father's house interiorly? All right, let's see what else he says. Uh, The the archbishop says, contemplation is a foretaste of heaven. The contemplative life is the life of heaven. There, all the works of the active life will disappear. In heaven, there will be no passions to contend with, or neighbors to help, or miseries to bear. The life of the blessed is an eternal contemplation. They see God, love him, and are united to him in an indissoluble embrace. This is the true life. So we might be finding ourselves saying, well, how do I get back to God? How do, you know, what do I have to do in my life? So now what book do I need to read to get back to God? What self-help book can I find so that I can get back to God? And again, we're asking the wrong question if we look at it that way. We have to say, I just have to present myself to God. There's no other way about it. Interiorly, I have to present myself to God. Exteriorly, I have to present myself to God. How do I do that? Because I can sit there in my in my house and say, well, I'm going to present myself to God. Well, how about I go over to the church and actually sit in front of the tabernacle for a little while, do a holy hour, present myself to God, be there with him and tell him, God, I'm broken. This is These are my temptations right now. This is what's causing me to feel dirty right now. This is what's causing me to be your prodigal son or daughter right now. Help me out. You've got the robes. You've got the angels. Send them to me so that I can be one of your children again the way you want me to be your child. The article goes on to say, And God in his goodness has desired that even in this life 
we should exercise ourselves in that which will constitute our eternal life. Already here below, we can contemplate him. So we need to contemplate God. We just need to think of God. That's where it starts. We just need to think of God. Although in the midst of faith, that's how we need to contemplate him. Already here below, we can love him. And with the same love of heaven, although it does not produce in us the same effect as in the blessed. This is the true life. All else is fading and transitory. For this reason, our Lord told Martha that she was concerned about many things when only one thing was necessary, and, on the other hand, that Mary had chosen the better part, and that it would never be taken from her. In this way, our Lord himself teaches us that the contemplative life is better than an active, and that it will never be taken from the soul who has chosen it. This is important because as we go through life now, you know, a lot of times people say, oh, the contemplative life, that means that I have to go become a religious and an austere monk somewhere and just stop and think about God all the time. No, again, we're talking about the interior life. Yeah, some people have chosen to leave their physical life along with their interior life, strictly contemplating God. But if you think about it, this is kind of like what I was saying. If I look at the monks and I think, gosh, if I would have had a calling to be a monk, then I'd be saved. But I'm here on earth. Uh, I have a different job. I don't have that kind of job. I'm always so busy. I don't have time. How can I possibly be as holy as a monk? But that goes back to my first example where I say, gosh, there's poor people in the world. And if I had grown up somewhere very poor, I'd have a better chance of being holier. That's not necessarily the case. The real question is, Are you contemplating God? Are you leading a contemplative life even in the midst of the activity of every day? And that's what we need to achieve. It's still possible. It's possible to have all of our focus on God and accomplish our work every single day. More about that when we come back on the other side of the break. All right. Well, welcome back to the Dr. Luis Sandoval Show. And uh, thank you for sticking with us here at Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Always trying to bring you good Catholic uh, commentary, good Catholic shows, so that we can continue to live out our faith. I remember if we're going to say that we are Catholic, how do we become Catholic? How do we do that? You know, we have to think like Catholics to begin with, so that we can live like Catholics, so that we can say that we are Catholic. And that way we can just keep it Catholic. That's really, at the end of the day, uh, what matters. And that's what we're talking about today. You know, how do I become closer to God? Well, we start leading a contemplative life. And that's really where it starts. We start looking at that interior life. um, And believe it or not, that's going to start making big changes in our life. That's going to start making strides that we couldn't possibly make ourselves. And we're going to wonder, how did I overcome that? How did I get past that? And there's going to be no doubt that it was because God was working in our lives that we made that. So this is what we need to think about. Um, <clears throat> I'll, I'm currently reading this article uh, that was on Catholic Exchange, and you can find it on our website there. When you go to my show, I put a link to it. Uh, and it's from Archbishop Martinez, who was the Archbishop of Mexico City for a long time. Um, and uh, he was writing, for, it was an excerpt from his book entitled Worshiping a Hidden God, Unlocking the Secrets of the Interior Life. And that link will be there. But let's talk a little bit more about this interior life. He tells us that in order to get into the interior life, we have to contemplate God. And he says, it is the better part because it is the most exalted. That is to contemplate God, to live with God, to know him and to love him is the highest activity that a creature can exercise. So as we're contemplating God, how do we do this? What do we do? Well, we're trying to just get to know God. That's all that it comes down to. That's pretty much what heaven is, right? We see the face of God and we try to get to know who he is. 
He says, not even the seraphim can aspire to anything more exalted. The seraphim being the highest angels who are there uh, contemplating God. He said, it is the better part because it is the most excellent. What is more excellent than to have communion with God and to be friends and intimates with a supreme being, and no one can take it away from us. The active life is solely of time. The contemplative life is eternal. The life of mortification of the great penitents, the apostolic life of the great apostles, the priestly ministry, no matter how holy and fruitful it may be, and with death, only one thing does not cease, the contemplative life. It continues on in heaven. It is eternal. And a lot of times I've noticed that my patients, what they'll tell me is that they wonder, you know, I can't slow down my life. I've got kids. I got a wife. I got a husband. <clears throat> I got a job. I've got different things I got to take care of. How in the world am I going to slow down and meditate on God and contemplate? You know, the way I worship God is by, by doing my work by going to work by, in fact, you know what? We don't even go to church on Sundays. I just go and look at a sunset. That was, that was my church, you know? Um, and that's good. God's going to tell us, no, no, you, you didn't get to know me. You know, it's like saying, it's somebody saying, Hey, you know what? I was thinking about you and I went to go look at the sunset and I went to go, uh, on a beautiful hike and I read a really funny book and the whole time I was thinking about you. So I feel like I know you and you're going to say, yeah, you don't know me. I mean, yeah, those things are great. I kind of like those things too, but I don't think you know me just by doing that. Or you can say, well, yeah, but you made all those stuff, God. You made all those things, right? You made sunsets. You made nature. You, you That's how I get to see who you are. That's the equivalent of one of your friends saying, hey, you know what? I saw some of the artwork that you did. I read something that you wrote. Now I know you. And you're going to say, no, that's something I did, but you don't know who I am. I, that might represent a little bit about me. You might know what I like to do, but you haven't gotten to know me. And I think that that's where the contemplative life comes in. We just spend time getting to know God. It says this, the life of an artist, for example, consists in contemplating and reproducing beauty according to the proper art. He can do other things as when he takes a vacation, but this is only a passing diversion for when the journey has ended and the wanton circumstances have changed, he will return to his art, which for him is the chief concern. All else is secondary of passing moment. <clears throat> contemplating God is going to be all that matters. That should be our soul, our soul focus, and really the sole reason that we get up in the day, you know, that we get up in the morning. This is really the bottom line. Um, he goes on to say, and we're going to finish out this article here. Um, let me see here. <clears throat> he says, the true efficacy of our works depends upon our interior life, and the true worth of a soul is the worth of its interior life. For a soul's worth is in direct proportion to the intimacy and intensity of its relations with God. The interior life is the chief, the most important, and the most efficacious element, element of the spiritual life. It is the one thing necessary. That's all that matters at the end of the day. St. Paul tells us we are the good odor of Christ, meaning that our interior life is going to, we're going to represent Christ. We're going to give off an aura. We're going to let people know who Christ is through our interior life. But people might be asking, well, Dr. Sandoval, is this a substitute for me going to therapy as a substitute? No, not at all. Um, it's actually just the first step, actually. It's the first step in life. So before I'd say before having to go to, you know, get medication or therapy, I would start with the interior life because then it might rearrange or it might refocus. What is it that you really need? Do you really need uh, therapy? Do you really need that much medication? Yeah, you might still, but maybe in a different way, maybe not as much, maybe a different type. Uh, you never know because once we get ordered with God, everything else is going to fall into place. 
Well, the next question is this. Obviously, if I'm treating somebody, they say, well, how am I supposed to use this? What, you know, you're giving me, how do I take this medication? What's the, uh, what's the scoop on this medication? How is it going to get me to, uh, to feel better? Do I take it in the morning, at night? F- same questions we have to ask about the interior life. How do I contemplate God? Do I just go there and just sit there and it's going to happen naturally? How do I, what do I do? This is where I think it's a great book. If anybody's ever read it, The Interior Castle, St. Teresa of Avila. Um, it's an important book because what she's talking about is the interior life, but it's kind of a how-to book. You know, she wrote it for uh, the convent. She wrote it for the sisters that were that she was leading in her convent. Um, and so it was really more of a guide as to how do I get into that interior life? How do I work this for me so that I can get to know God? And really more than anything else, what she what she tells us is, as you start that interior life, um, this is what you're going to see. It's more of a guide. So she's going to tell us, she talks about dwellings in ourselves. That's why it's called interior castle. And she says that there's seven dwellings. And as we walk through these dwellings, we're going to encounter different things. And this is where it gets important because as we're going through life, we wonder, how do I, how do I even um, get to this interior life, which is supposed to be contemplative? The interesting thing is it's through active contemplation. Sometimes we think that contemplation is passive and we talk about the active life and the contemplative life. But the contemplative life, it means being actively present with God, being there, showing ourselves to God. Well, what does St. Teresa tell us? She says that we have to enter the house. So, and how do we enter the house? We just enter the house by thinking of God, by recognizing that God exists. This is what she says. There's another article here that I put in, and it was excerpts that break down the dwellings that St. Teresa Bavla tells us, because this is as we go through it, you know, we think, how am I going to get better uh, as far as my mental life? How am I going to get better as far as, you know, all these other things that are happening in my life? Well, I'll start thinking about God. She says, the first dwelling is the one in which the individual recognizes there is a castle to be explored and enters its doors by beginning prayer and self-examination. Again, we just start by praying. I might not know what I'm doing here. I'm stumbling. How do I go into that interior life? Well, I got to know that there is an interior life, that there is a castle to be entered, that there is this life that I carry with me that is different from the outside world, that it's strictly my relationship with God and how I lead that. So now that I recognize that and I say, hey, this really exists, okay, how do I start? How do I explore it? How do I open that door uh, to the first dwelling, to the, the door of the castle? And she says it opens by beginning to prayer and self-examination. So I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask myself, what am I doing? What am I doing in my life? Where have I been? She describes the value of moving beyond rote prescribed prayers written by other people and beginning a soul revealing conversation with one's creator. Remember when we talk about praying, um, we always say, oh, praying is you know, conversing with God. It's having a communication with God. It's talking to God. And one of the things that we fall into is that we start going into our prayers that we know it's wonderful to pray the rosary and contemplate God's life. But we forget that we also want to give God a conversation of our own, who we are. Let God get to know us as well as we're getting to know him. Um, and so she talks about how much the temptations of the world described as serpents and reptiles. Yeah, so you read the book, she talks about serpents and reptiles in that first room, and she refers to the temptations of the world, says that they can easily distract the soul in this very exterior place. So those are there to distract us, right? Trying to get us out of that interior castle, trying to get us out of that interior contemplation. She emphasizes, however, how important it is that the soul remember how worthwhile getting through the rest of the castle is, and so encourages perseverance through this temptation-riddled exploration. So we start the the, uh, the journey. We start the journey inside. We start looking into the interior life. Um, 
and we start walking towards God. And it's really what it comes down to. You know, it's interesting that we say that we use these terms, they're very active terms. I'm going to go into the interior life. I'm going to walk towards God. I'm going to contemplate on God. Um, when it's all happening, nobody else can see it. Nobody else can see you doing this. Only it's up to you to decide how intense that life is. How often do I want to think about God? How often do I contemplate on God? How often do I allow God to work in my life? Okay, so that's the first dwelling. That's really an introduction. How do we start the, the contemplative life with God? We start by just knowing that there's a God. We start by recognizing that I might not make it to that level of perfection without God because I'm not perfect. So I got to do a self-examination and talk to God. God, I'm here. I'm going to examine myself. Just like the prodigal son, the prodigal son did a self-examination, decided, what am I doing? People have a better have it better at my dad's house. Even the servants at my dad's house have it better. I better go talk to my dad. That's how it starts. And remember, in the prodigal son, he was way off. He was way off in the distance before God saw, well, his father saw him and came out to him. If we even just start this journey, if we just start thinking about God and saying, God, I want to come back to you, God is going to see that even from a distance and he's going to come out to us. Okay, the second dwelling. So we've already been into the first room. Now the second dwelling or the second room says it differs from the first and that while the soul is in a deaf and dumb observation in the first dwelling, so we don't even have our senses in the first dwelling, we can't really see or hear things. In the second, um, the soul is able to recognize the calling voice of God. It is not an audible call until much later, but comes through words spoken by teachers, friends, or that or that come and study. That's very interesting because, you know, as we're going there and we're like, I don't know what God wants for me. If we start praying, so first we're just going to pray. We're going to go to God and we're going to start praying. By the time we get past that first stage, that first room of examining my conscience, talking to God and saying, God, I'm here. The next part is we're going to recognize God around us. We're going to start to see things. She mentions that in the first room, we're deaf and dumb. We don't get it. We're putting our part in and we don't see that God is actually working. If somebody's deaf and dumb, that means they can't hear and they can't speak. So it means that we're just kind of talking gibberish maybe. We don't know exactly what to say and we can't hear God yet. So we're there. Our senses aren't about us. But in the second room, all of a sudden, we start to recognize that, hey, God is speaking to us. God is around us somehow. God is, God is here and we start to be able to see that and recognize it. So that's going to be the important part. We're going towards a deeper com, uh, com, community with God, we're, uh, communion with God and relationship with God. But now we're going to start to hear him. And the way we start to hear him is in other people and the world around us. We're going to continue going through these dwellings all through the seventh dwelling when we come back from the break. All right, welcome back to Dr. Luis Sandoval Show. Today we are talking about the interior life and how is this going to help us in our regular everyday lives as we're trying to improve ourselves. You know, so many people nowadays trying to improve their life, trying to find different things, but we always seem to want to look for it external from ourselves and we forget that, you know, we came from God, God made us, and maybe we should go back to God and he's the one who's going to help improve us little by little, you know, one step at a time. I think that that's the most important part you know, presenting ourselves to God as broken as we might feel we are, as broken as uh, we might see ourselves, you know, going through depressions, going through anxieties, going through uh, debilitating illnesses, chronic back pains, diabetes, you know, high cholesterol, whatever it is that's going on, diagnoses of cancer, all these different things that we feel overwhelmed about. And we forget to go into the interior life and say, God, you know, where are you in my life? Because our spiritual life is still happening in spite of whatever is going on in our physical lives, in our mental lives. So going back into the soul, 
we're going through the different stages, the different castles, the different dwell, the different rooms, I should say, in the interior castle, uh, the dwellings that St. Teresa of Avila tells us. Um, if you haven't read her book, The Interior Castle, it's a great book to read, something to consider. So <clears throat> I'm going in the second dwelling right now. So in the first dwelling we talked about briefly, we start this contemplative life, we start this journey to God by starting to pray and to recognize that there is a God and an interior life. Once we know that the interior life is there, we're gonna, we've opened that door by trying to even just talk to God and say, God, let's start this journey. The second dwelling is where we start to hear God's voice, but it doesn't come to us directly. Not like, you know, people are gonna say, hey, Dr. Sandoval, I'm hearing voices. I think I need medication. No, there's a little bit differently. It's where we read something. Our teacher tells us something. Our friend says something and we recognize wow, that was God speaking through you. You know, this can happen to us when we go to confession and all of a sudden we confess our sins and the priest says something and you'll talk to many priests and they'll say, you know, I don't know why I say half the things I say in confession. It's not even coming for me. I don't know why I just said that. I just, I just said that and I needed to hear, you needed to hear that. I don't know. That's what God told me to say. And we have these inklings, these inclinations, and that's what starts to happen right out, right away in the second dwelling where we start to hear God speaking through us by the world around us. But be aware because it says along with the sharpening of the intellect that comes with this increased understanding in the second dwelling come vicious attacks from the enemy of souls to try to deceive and pull back into the world a soul who is beginning to find wisdom beyond it she cites surrender to the will and calling god the only defense against those attacks so this is where it gets interesting right this is where we get into our deliverance uh uh area our deliverance section because once we start doing that uh, we start getting closer to god we're going to have these attacks of no you're going about it the wrong way you need to get back in the world you need to get famous you need to do this you need to do that um and that's what happens nowadays right everybody wants to be famous for some reason and nobody wants to give god fame but she says the only defense against these attacks is god himself you know doing the will of god and calling to god um that's the only thing that's going to matter and the only thing that's going to defend us. Why? Because we're going to be weak in our faith. We just started the journey. We don't even know what this road looks like. We need God to let us know, hey, this is, this is the way it is. And as we're being attacked, he's the one who's going to save us. Let's look at the third dwelling. The third one now uh, is the one in which the soul must move beyond, beyond listening and understanding to doing, bringing the will into submission to the things that the soul has seen with her uh, into the likeness of her God. So now, remember, this is active. We talk about the interior life and contemplation, but it says that we have to start doing something. The soul's in action. We got to remember that when God acts and when the soul acts, it's different. It's a spiritual action. We call it an act. We don't see it like a physical act. There's more of an intent, an intention. That's the action of the soul. What's my action? And what we have to do is make the soul submit to God. So she stresses the importance of humility as well, since human nature is so much more likely to work for recognition, I said everybody wants to get famous, uh, than purely out of selfless love and desire to serve God. That's one of the challenges we find. In fact, that's one of the challenges you're going to find if you ever deal in uh, deliverance or anything like that. You're going to be tempted to pride, right? You're going to be tempted to be recognized. You want to make sure that your name is out there. You want to make sure, you know, a lot of people will do a lot of self-promotion or things like that. Um, and you want to be careful of that because what you really want to say is, you know, this is all about God. This is all what comes down the work of God. Um, so <clears throat> the, the third castle here, the third room, the third dwelling tells us that we have to do our work to submit to the will of God and be humble. And it says, this is when the soul must battle how she feels and what she wants and train herself as a faithful servant willing to serve unnoticed. That's the key right there, unnoticed. Remembering that every bit of progress and refinement which occurs in one soul is the work of God 
and not the individual is another major lesson to be learned in this dwelling. So everything that I'm doing is the work of God. That's the bottom line. It has nothing to do with me. You know, I can say, yeah, I'm a doctor. I've got these titles, this and that. And I can be like, yeah, you know, that's, that's cool. You know, I read through it, but I got to remember the only way that I did that is because God gave me, God gave me, I didn't give myself anything. God gave me, shall we say the intellect? God gave me the will. God gave me whatever the desire, but I had to act on that. You know, how many gifts go un, uh, unfulfilled? How many gifts go unused that God gives us? Because eh, we either don't listen to God, we don't, we haven't entered even the second room where we hear God speaking to us through different people to even act to go into the, uh, humility and just strictly the will of God. Okay, so that was a third dwelling. The fourth dwelling uh, is when the soul begins to experience the supernatural. Hmm, interesting now. Now we're going to cross the threshold, different dimension. Now you're going to start to experience the supernatural. But how? Let's see what she says. Being ever closer to the dwelling of the king, she says there are more and more beautiful things to see and understand, among them what Teresa calls consolations in prayer. These are the gifts of joy given by God, completely unrelated to things of this world, and they serve to expand the heart's capacity for joy, making them an incredibly valuable gift. This is also the dwelling in which Teresa places the prayer of quiet, when the soul sits without speaking in the presence of God and listens for him to speak, and the prayer of recollection, when the soul remembers and rebuilds the place where it can go to pray and retakes control from the senses. Now, this is an important uh, dwelling here. We're in the fourth dwelling. It's right in the middle. I said there's seven dwellings, right? This is the hump. Why is this important? Because we're halfway through our journey. We've learned. But now it can get a little bit interesting because now we can feel like we know a lot because we're halfway through and we might not know enough. But this is where I think it's beautiful and challenging at the same time. By challenging, I mean it can actually be dangerous for people because you start to experience the supernatural. You always want to decide what's coming from God and what's not coming from God, especially if you're experiencing the supernatural. So all of a sudden you start to experience the supernatural. You start dwelling closer to God. We have consolations and prayers, and these are the gifts of joy given by God, completely unrelated to the things of this world. They serve to expand the heart's capacity for joy. That's great. We got to make sure that we're experiencing that joy in God right? Not in the material, not in other things, because sometimes, and I see this a lot with patients, when they start feeling good is when they start falling, especially when people are addicted to things, you know, they're addicted to alcohol or something. And they say, yeah, I was drinking because I was, you know, I was so mad. I was in a down place. I needed to feel good. But sometimes what will happen is you're feeling really good. You start getting consolations. You feel like, Hey, I'm really happy. Um, you know what I can do? I can have one drink. I can celebrate. I'm going to celebrate because I'm feeling, I'm not drinking a drink. I'm drinking to celebrate. And it can be a slippery slope. Remember that all these joys have to come from God. And so this is where St. Teresa says, this is where we start to experience um, the prayer of quiet. When the soul sits without speaking in the presence of God, you're making it. You know, now you don't even have to say anything. You just sit there and you start to experience God without even praying. The prayer of recollection, the soul remembers and rebuilds a place where it can go to pray. It's very important. And we're only in the fourth dwelling. Let's see what the fifth dwelling is. The fifth dwelling is where the soul experiences the prayer of union, a state in which the soul is completely withdrawn from the senses and is in removed union with the creator. So at the end of the other one, it said that the soul at the end of the fourth room, the fourth dwelling, the soul took control of the senses. The senses can be deceiving because it can distract us, right? So the senses is where we get our temptations from. In the fifth dwelling, we already now don't even focus on the senses. The senses are not there. She says the soul is completely withdrawn from the senses and is removed and is in removed union with the creator. 
we start to unify ourselves. <clears throat> in this communion, the spirits and temptations of evil have no ability to distract or harm the soul. The soul is taught to recognize truth and goodness when it encounters it, and the appetite is refined to crave those things exclusively. She describes this plot process as replacing false intelligence with true wisdom. Remember before she was saying the soul is going to start to recognize that, you know, that being recognized is not even important, that you want to be quiet, you want to be very small, and starts and so when you start unifying yourself with God, you don't have any of the senses, you start to recognize true wisdom versus the false intelligence. Here she also introduces the analogy of silkworm that she carries through the end of the book and says that it is this stage, the silkworm builds the house in which it will die, that being Christ, the character to which it gives herself up to become like. So in other words, all of a sudden we start to build ourselves our death, shall we say, um, we start to prepare our death, but we start really to prepare with a life with Christ. We start to prepare for that transition to be with Christ. Let's see what the sixth dwelling says. So the sixth dwelling, the soul really begins to ache and desire to be with her creator and leave behind the world and its sad inconsideration of its God. She is wounded whenever she sees people out of the communion with him and aches to be absorbed and worship all the time. She also recognizes more and more how imperfectly she is able to serve him, and this, and this wounds her deeply as well. Teresa urges a practitioner experiencing the state still to strive to serve and improve the whole of her life in order to pass through this final trial improved by it. Meaning that if we can get through this hump, so that remember, as we're going through this journey, it's not all pe you know, peaches and cream. We're going to have some really good things. We talked about we're going to experience a supernatural life. We're going to experience great contemplation, great joy. But in the sixth dwelling, <clears throat> our recognition that we are far away from God causes us pain. Now, it gets to the point where uh, we start to see people wounded, uh, or excuse me, the soul starts to feel wounded when it sees people out of communion. Um, and start, and we also feel when, when we start to recognize how imperfectly we serve God, but keep this in mind. Well, gee, Dr. Sandoval, this doesn't sound really good. It sounds like a lot of pain. Yes, but notice that our pain here is that we want to be closer to God. This is going to actually remove the pains of the world. A lot of times I see patients who are in pain because they can't get what they want materially. They don't have what they want, what they think that they need uh, in this world. And that can cause actual emotional pain right? The pain is coming from, I want to achieve things in this world versus here. The pain is no longer of this world. You're not going to need a therapist for this type of pain. You're not going to need a medication for this type of pain. This pain is, I'm not close enough to God. I want to be closer to God. And being that God is infinite and eternal, I don't think that there's ever going to be a time that we achieve that ultimate closeness. That's what eternity is about. We're going to forever be getting closer and closer to God without it ever being technically fulfilled. And that's actually why eternity is going to be so great. It's going to be fulfilled in many steps forever forever without stopping. Let's look at the final dwelling. So we've gone through six dwellings. The final dwelling, this is it. This is the interior life as we're going through this journey and getting closer to God. Now remember, we just went through one of pain. We went through one where, you know, we start to experience pain and she says, no, but keep going because this is a final trial. The final dwelling is one in which the soul finally wishes for infinite life so that she can serve God forever. Suffering on earth is finally a pleasure. It is recognized as trifling compared to the suffering of Christ. <clears throat> compared, excuse me, compared with the suffering Christ did in giving up his royalty to live poor and die for his beloveds. She is so absorbed in the beauty of God that she looks eagerly for ways to serve him, work she can do, and secret ways of loving him with her actions. The butterfly has died of happiness and has found her rest in the presence of her king. We do this interior life. We're not going to worry about things of this world. Those are all going to go away. We're strictly going to recognize that all I want is to be with God. And that's going to be my sole focus. Guess what? 
if that's my sole focus, I'm not focusing on depression or anxiety or what another self-help person says. All I'm going to focus on is I need to get to prayer. I want to be closer to God. Until next week, this is Dr. Sandoval saying, make sure that you live a Catholic life, and that we think like Catholics, that we be Catholic, and that definitely we keep it Catholic. We'll see you here at the Dr. Sandoval Show next week.